And thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast from Connect Church. We'd like to invite you to join us in person at 1101 West Grand in Ponca City, Oklahoma, or on Facebook Live. Go to connectchurchpc.com to learn more about how we are helping people connect every day. We are a people, connected people, all in God's love. Somebody give you the prizes that all the world covets. Prayer is almost the greatest human privilege that we have. Well, this morning as we talk about prayer, we, we enter into this. Um, I, I come to tell you a little bit annoyed because last night I was doing a, a menial task, a regular task, and my back completely went out. I hit the ground. I reached in my pocket. I called Terry, and she didn't pick up the phones. I called Jack. and like, Jack, I need you to come out and get me. I'm on the ground. I can't get up. And I was a little bit upset about that because I like to be able to move around and have energy and to jump up and down when, when, when I'm in here with the youth and singing and stuff. And I wasn't able to do any of that. And my younger son, Lance, has four times today caused me to have back spasms. But here's what I, I want to I go with this story to you. 2011 was really a turning point for our ministry, our church, and a lot of, a lot of great things. In, in August of 2011, the district superintendent called me up and said, hey, I want you to, to, to start preaching at a, a, at a church over in Blackwell. We're thinking about closing it down. We don't know what to do there yet. But we want you to travel over there and preach and give leadership and everything. And I said, okay. Well, also in 2011, Terry got two tickets for Jack and I to go watch the Broncos. And, and she handed it to me, and I'm like, wow, I'm so excited. The Broncos are so bad this year, by the time we go, Tim Tebow could be the starting quarterback. And she kind of giggled about that, that whole thing. She's like, oh, that's really a great way of looking at it. Well, she handed those to me on a Saturday. On that Sunday, Tim Tebow came in in relief. He was a third-string quarterback at that time. Came in in relief. They skipped number two as Brady Quinn and went right to Tim Tebow. And I'm like, this is exciting. He started in Miami, and miracles started to break loose. I'm talking about complete miracles. They'd win games that were just un- unbelievable. So Jack and I go and watch the New York Jets play the, the Denver Broncos in Mile High. It's a Thursday night game. We fly in there, and... And we, we, we're at the stadium early. We get the entire experience. We, we took out a small business loan and bought supper at the stadium. It was a great time. 
And so we're sitting up there, and in the, we're, we're in the closed part of the stadium, and on the right, right edge of the, of, the, of the goal line facing it, and Tim Tebow kneels down before the game and prays right there. Does the Tebowing thing? I would do the Tebowing thing, but then I'd have to ask somebody to come and help me get up, so I'm not going to Tebow for you. And it was, it was awesome, and we're just talking about it. And, and Jack at that time was like a second grader. So at the end of the first quarter, he's already tired. He's asleep. Hey, Dad, can we go yet? I'm like, no, we can't go yet. Halftime, oh, Dad's game over. Can we go yet? No, we can't go yet. In the third quarter, same thing. In the fourth quarter, we're sitting next to this nice lady, and she takes off one of her mini coats that she had, had on because it wasn't as cold as we thought it would be, makes a pillow for, for Jack, gets them all tucked in there, and kind of puts Jack to sleep. And late in the game, we're down, and it's our ball, 98 yards to go, we're down by three, and this guy in our section stands up, takes off the jersey he has on, puts on another jersey, it's like his third wardrobe change of the night, and he goes, it's Tebow time! And I'm like, it's a nightmare is what it is. I mean, we haven't been able to do anything on offense. And then suddenly, Timmy Tebow drove us 98 yards for a touchdown. The, the, the play in which he scored on, they are blitzing everybody. Tim Tebow gets the ball, steps back, sees a guy running, jukes him, guy falls down, Tim Tebow runs around the corner, scores right five feet from where he was kneeling before the game to pray. And I'm like, that is amazing. We're jumping up and down, and there's like 30-some seconds left. I'm like, Jack, Jack, we just won the game, and we're excited, we're hopping. And so we gather up our stuff real quick. We say, thank you to the lady for putting Jack to sleep. All these great things. We head out so we can beat the rush. We walk across the street. Stadium is still bouncing up and down, and you can hear them chanting, Tebow, Tebow, Tebow. I've never in my life experienced anything like that. Now, I realize that Tim Tebow was not the best quarterback in the universe, but to see the way people loved him and to see the way he loved Jesus was just unbelievable. So let's fast forward, and Tim Tebow is going to be at a Wesleyan church in Atlanta, the home church of Trevor Lawrence, number one draft pick in the NFL. Two years in a row, Wesleyan quarterbacks were drafted number one in the, in the NFL. So here's the thing. If you want to get drafted number one in the NFL and you want to be a quarterback, attend Connect Church, we'll hook you up. <laughs> in fact, there's a good chance Trevor Lawrence and I were in the building at the same time at this point. But Tim Tebow speaking at 12 Stone in Atlanta, and a friend of mine said, hey, if you can get a, a moment to talk with Dr. Dan Ryland, who is the executive pastor down there, and he goes, I've got, I've got points in my airlines. I will get you a free ticket down there. All you have to do is get your hotel or, or get your room, and, and, and I'll make sure the ch- church pays for a hotel. Uh, we didn't have much money as a church. So I bought, this is awesome, guys, 40 bucks for three nights at a hotel. I'm pretty sure I wasn't the only resident in my room. There was probably about 1,000 other critters in there with me. I would have never taken my family there, but I didn't care. I'm going to go see Tim Tebow, and I'm going to go see Dan Ryland. And it, it, was, it was an awesome experience and, and to sit there and everything. And I go in the visit with Dr. Dan Ryland, and we talk for an hour and a half, and he prays over me, and he gives me a book. And then I see there's this book sitting on his desk, and it's called The Circle Maker. And he looks at me and said, Mark, before you do anything else in ministry, I want you to read this book. I'm like, really? So I go back to my uh, flea-infested hotel room. And I, I hop on to Amazon.com, and they were running a two-day deal on the Circle Maker for five bucks. 
I realized at that moment that God was in this. And so I bought it and started reading it. Couldn't put it down. And the opening story in there, he said, this is how I get the, the story for the book of the Circle Maker. He tells this story about a mystic, one generation before the birth of Jesus Christ, a Jewish mystic who was known for asking prayers and God answering in amazing ways. And so Honey was his name. And, and for, the, the, for the people there in, in Israel, they had not had rain for over a year. Can you imagine not having rain for over a year? Here's the other thing. We circled back to 2012. We were going through a pretty stiff drought here in Oklahoma. In, in fact, on our back lot at Brookfield, there were cracks large enough I could stick my entire index finger down there. I would go out there every once in a while with a cup of water and pour it down the crack, wondering if I was pouring water to somebody in China. They were that deep and that thick. So I know what it's like when you go through a drought. I know what it's like the, the want rain and the need rain and, and desire that. But can you imagine for an entire year not having rain, and they had these giant cisterns where they would store water, and their cisterns were dry, and, and people were saying, if we don't get rain, our crops are going to continue to die. We're not going to have water to drink. We're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. And they were all talking about how they were going to die. And they said, well, there's this mystic, and his name is Honey. And Honey was only about four and a half feet tall. And Honey arrives on the scene. He's got a staff that is a foot and a half taller than him, a six-foot staff. And Honey sits there, and he stands in a circle, and he draws a circle around him. And he drops to his knees, and he prays. And he says, oh, God of heaven, God of Jacob, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, I pray right now that you would send us rain. And he prayed this short, simple prayer, and these little drops started falling from heaven. And people get excited, like, oh, this is awesome. But Honey's not finished yet. He goes, not for such a rain that I prayed for, but I prayed for a rain that would drench the land, that will fill the cisterns, that will water our crops, and then the heavens broke loose. Kind of like on Wednesday. Anybody out in the rain on Wednesday? Oh, man. I, I decided to be fun after I dropped the boys and Terry off at the chiropractor to go for a run, and it was lightly misting. It was great. And then the heavens broke loose. I was drowned as a rat. In fact, I think I ruined my, uh, one of my headsets because it got wet. So I know what it's like to be in that, that type of rain. And it started coming down like that, and, and suddenly there's flash flooding taking place. And Honey stays in that circle, and he says, Not for such a rain have I prayed for, dear Lord, but for a rain that will sustain, a steady rain that will fill our cisterns and sustain our crops and sustain our people. And the rain led up to a nice, sustainable rain. Saved the generation. In fact, they tell stories about kids that were jumping and dancing in the water puddles and singing and joining. And you know what it's like when you're, when you're hot and it starts to rain, you just open up your mouth and let the rain drop in. And that's what they were doing. They were so ecstatic about it. And so as we enter into talking about holy habit, this is the, the habit of prayer and, and what it means. And I, I just want to spend some time in defining what prayer is. Here's what Andrew Murray, Andrew Murray wrote a great book called In the School of Prayer. And in that book, he said, the powers of the eternal world have been placed at prayer's disposal. It is the channel of all blessing, the secret of power and life. It is the prayer that promises of God, wait for the fulfillment, the kingdom for its coming, and the glory of God for its full revelation. Prayer. See, what we need more of is prayer. There's a church in Tennessee 
that pastor was praying, and God said, I want you to spend more time in prayer. And he said, how much more time? He said, I want you to commit to praying. Just truly commit your life to being engrossed in prayer. And in the last three months, they've seen 1,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ at their church. Is prayer about seeing numerical growth? No, prayer is about seeing spiritual growth. Prayer is about us developing with God. But the first definition of prayer is prayer is entreating spiritual power. When we go before God, here's it is. God is the creator of all the heavens and everything. And when we go to him, the, the one who created everything, the one who spoke everything into existence, we are speaking to the most powerful being in the universe. And so we're asking God, let his power come down upon us. Jessica talked about Elijah. And in 1 Kings 18, 36-38, there's this, this thing that takes place where God speaks to Elijah and says, I want you to pray, and I want you to ask that it would stop raining. So for three and, a year, it stopped, three and a half years, it stopped raining. And then God goes back to Elijah, and he goes, I want you to go to the king and tell him that you want to have a prayer battle against Baal and his prophets. And so he does. Here's why I love Elijah. Elijah, like me, is a smart aleck. Because as they're having this prayer battle, he says, hey, you can go first. And so they, they make an altar there, and they have an offering on top of the altar, and he says, I want you to pray. And whosoever God answers by fire is the true God. And so the prophets of Baal are dancing around, and they're praying, and, 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 and here's exactly what Elijah says. I love this. Maybe your God is on the toilet and can't answer right now. Call louder. Dude, isn't Elijah like the coolest guy ever? And so they start dancing around more. And then they had this ritual that, that sometimes their God would only answer through blood. And so they started cutting themselves. And they still wouldn't answer. And, and he's like, well, maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's far, far away. Maybe you need to shout louder. And so they started shouting all the louder. And then Elijah looks at his watch and goes, hey, guys, um, I really want to get home for supper. So you mind if I give this a try? And I'll get this. He dumps 12 jars of water on top of it fills up the entire all, all over the sacrifice all over the wood would fills up a trench around it pours water inside there and then elijah says i'm ready to pray it, it, get this it says oh lord this is his prayer oh lord god of abraham isaac and jacob prove today that you're the god in israel and that i am your servant Prove that I have done all of this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of God of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trenches. That is some pretty powerful stuff right there. Have you ever been around a fire that would do that? Another example is Jehoshaphat. It says, now the king of Aram had issued these orders to his charioteers, attack only the king of Israel. So when the Aramean charioteers saw Jehoshaphat in the royal robe, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But Jehoshaphat cried out to the Lord to save him, and God helped him by turning the attack away from him. They were under attack. He was going to lose his life, and he cried out to God, and God protected him. What about Peter in the New Testament? Acts chapter 12, it says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some of the, from the church. In verse 5 it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. 
And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and struck Peter on the side and raised him up. Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. And he walked away. Here's a cool thing. He shows up at someone's house after they've been praying for him to be released, and they were shocked that he was released. But they were praying that way. You see, when we pray, we're entreating spiritual power. The, the summary of this is prayer is calling out to God. When we pray, we are calling out to God. That's why prayer is so important. We're, we're calling out to God. Definition two. Prayer is transacting spiritual business. You're probably looking at that and saying, man, that just sounds weird. I mean, transacting spiritual business? What, that, what is that all about? What it's saying is, it's a legal term. In, in Matthew 18, 18 through 19, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He's saying if we come in an agreement and pray in God's word and pray in agreement, pray in God's will, that great things will happen. See, the thing is, is we've got to agree God. Before there was Mother Teresa, there was a lady called Mother Dabney. In 1925, Elizabeth J. Dabney and her husband went to work for a mission in the city of Brotherly Love. That's Philadelphia. But there wasn't much love in her neighborhood. It was a, in her terms, hell hole. Hell hole. I can't say that very easily. Her husband was called to preach. Her portfolio was prayer. But she didn't just pray. She prayed through. One afternoon, she was thinking about a bad situation in the North Philly neighborhood and asked God if he would give them a spiritual victory if she covenanted with him to pray. He promised her that he would, and she felt the Lord prompting her to meet him the next morning at Scully Kill River at 7.30 a.m. Mother Dabney was so nervous about missing her prayer appointment that she stayed up all night crocheting. The next morning, she went down to the river outside the city walls, and the Lord said, this is the place. The presence of God overshadowed her, and she drew a circle in the sand. Lord, if you will bless my husband in this place, you sent him to establish your name. If you break the bonds and destroy the middle wall of partition, if you give him a church and a congregation, a credit to your people and all Christendom, I will walk with you for three years in prayer, both day and night. I will meet with you every morning at 9 a.m. sharp. I will never have to wait. You will never have to wait for me. I will be there to greet you. I will stay there all day. I devote all of my time to you. Furthermore, if you listen to my voice of supplication and break through in, the, in this wicked neighborhood and bless my husband, I will fast 72 hours each week for two years. While I'm going through the fast, I will not go home to sleep in my bed. I will stay in church, and if I get sleepy, I will rest on newspapers and carpet. As soon as she made that prayer covenant, it was like a cloudburst. God's glory fell from heaven like raindrops the same raindrops that drenched Tony. Every morning at 9 a.m., Mother Dabney was there with, with Jesus praying. She fasted three days a week. 
People would come to her and say, don't you want to break your fast? Don't you want to stop? And she'd know this is my covenant with God. And I'm not saying that God calls all of us to fast three days a week. I'm not saying that God calls all of us to the same precision of prayer. But our temptation is to put prayer on the back burner. And then we only pray when we get in trouble. You see, when prayer is no longer a priority, when it's a, a second point of view, then we can't agree in prayer because we don't know what the desire of God is, we don't know what the will of God is, and we keep pushing God further back. Here's what happened. Soon, her husband established a mission there, and it was full to overflowing. And she went back to God again. You know what she prayed for? A larger building. God told her to go down to the warehouse district and start praying over those buildings, and pretty soon God gave them those buildings. In 2012, when I, I, I was telling you about how God started moving, God started to work, and in 2012, I came back, I read the, the book, The Circle Maker, and, and God was calling us, and he said, this is your property. And so I started coming over here, and I started praying over it every week. I'd walk circles around it. I started praying that God would give us a city, and I started walking circle blocks around different areas, just praying over, saying, God, give us people in this neighborhood. God, give us souls. God, give us people that lives need to be changed. I started praying that God would do great things. And every time it seemed like this being our promised land, we weren't going to get here, I'd go back and say, but God promised it to us. I had well-meaning people who said, Mark, get over it. Move on. Find something else. And Kelly was there when I, when I came back from a meeting with the people that own this building, and I was dejected, and I was upset, and I was frustrated, and I kept saying, I know God wants us there. Terry would sit, look at me, and she goes, Mark, we have no money. How are we going to get there? I said, I don't know. God's going to provide. What are we circling around? What are we praying over? What are we desiring to come in agreement with God for to say, this is what God's going to do? Long story short, God gave us a $950,000 property for $50,000. What are we willing to pray for? What is our prayer legacy going to be? God's law of spiritual authority. When we take authority on earth, we release God's power from the heavenlies. We're teaming up with God. A couple years ago, a really funny thing happened at youth. I'm going to share this because it's way past. Jack and a couple of his friends had found some water balloons at church. Not sure where you find water balloons at church. But they had filled them up and thought it would be fun to throw them at, at different things. And suddenly, they were throwing them at cars that were driving by. Do not condone this. When I found out what was going on, I, I told them to stop immediately. But here's how I found out what was going on. They threw a water balloon, hit the back of a pickup truck. He hit the brake so hard, I thought he was going to flip over frontwards. And then he came screeching around the corner, coming in the parking lot. Luckily, I was not here by myself as the only adult. Rich Grass was standing next to me. Rich, who's at least six inches taller than me, bigger shoulders than me. The guy gets out of the pickup, and I'm like, hey, hey, what's going on here? He looked at me, but I, I did not determine at all. He looked at Rich and goes, um, well, something, they threw something at my truck. And I said, well, let's go look and see if there's any damage. There's no damage done. And I said, well, it's kind of wet. I said, I, I think whatever they threw was like a water balloon or something like that. And I go inside and go, guys, we don't do that. That could have caused a car accident. 
Here's, here's the point of the story, not that we don't throw water balloons at moving cars. Don't do that, by the way. If I would have been there by myself, the guy would have blown right past me. But because Rich was with me, he looked at Rich and goes, ah, I'm not going to mess with this one. True story. When we're praying, what we're saying to the world is, look who's got my back. Devil, you might be able to take me. World, you might be able to take me. But you can't take what God is doing. That's what we say when, we're, when we are conducting spiritual business, when we're working with God. When it talks in, in when God talks about the binds, the legal definition is to, to compel by oath or legal restraint. The summary of this is prayer is commanding in God. Not commanding God, but it's commanding in God. It's coming in agreement with God. We are commanding in God saying this is what God wants. The third definition of prayer is tapping spiritual secrets. Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 22 says, Blessed is the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He revokes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who are understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. How do we tap God's secrets? By praying. By, by, by just going before God and saying, God, I, I need to know you better. I want to know you more. I want to understand you. I want to lean into your presence. Psalm 25, 14 says, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. He will show them his covenant. And when we say fear, I'm not like, oh, I'm, I'm scared of God. It's saying that I revere God. And we are called Friends of God when we know God. Do we pray in such a way that we really want to know God? Want to be his friend? The key to confiding is waiting. Psalm 5.3 says, Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my request to you and wait expectantly. I'm waiting for God. You see, the summary on this one is prayer is confiding in God. You see, you can't really know God unless you come and you wait before God and say, God, I am not going to leave this place until I hear from you. And then I will do what God has called me to do. Definition number four, prayer is developing spiritual intimacy. Last night we were driving back from O'Keene and Terry was sitting out the text message to remind people that church service tomorrow and what to expect. She goes, tell me about your sermon tomorrow. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to end talking about intimacy. She looks at me, she goes, I can't text that out. I'm like, yeah, you can't. Just tell them that prayer intimacy. She goes, I'm not texting that out. I'm like, just, just go right ahead. Just throw it out there. She goes, no. What are your other three points? I'm like, but Terry, if you miss everything else out, what you need to know, she goes, no matter what you say, I am not texting that out. Like, okay, fine. I mean, I'm only a pastor. Theodore Kyler says, prayer is not casting a fishing line with a hook toward God to catch him for a blessing, but to cast a line toward God so we might pull ourselves closer to him. Drawing ourselves closer to God. Daniel 11.32 says, By smooth words he will turn to, godless, to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. 
The results of knowing God are strong actions or strong exploits. Bold and daring. We're, we're firm and we're durable. We're, we're going to be strong in what God has called us to do. And those actions, those exploits, are bold deeds and daring acts. I want to be bold for God. I want to be daring for God. I, I want to live my life out there on the frontier of faith. But it's so easy to slip back. The essence of knowing God. You guys know what the Hebrew word for know is? Yada. I want to give you a little bit of a, a little bit of a history word lesson about the word yada. It says there that the people who yada their God display strength and take action. He's saying the people that know their God. But what does that word know mean? Where else is it found in the Bible? What is he talking about knowing? Is it like I just know of God or I've heard about God? Or is it something deeper? The first place where we see that word yada used, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. In the King James it says, and Adam knew Eve. Okay, cool. You know what that word knew meant? You know what that word yada meant when it said Adam, yada, Eve? Because right following that, they had children. Do I need to draw this out? We're getting ready to go PG-13. But he's saying there, something happened there because Yada is defined as life-giving intimacy, direct, intimate contact. Adam knew Eve, therefore they had kids. There's something about knowing God and just leaning into his presence and, and having an intimacy with God and knowing exactly what he's wanting us to do. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your, way, your, your path straight. The way is defined as a course, affording passage from one place to another. But you know what that word acknowledge is? Yada. Again, it's talking about we have to know God have that intimacy with God, that, that deeper knowledge with God, that we've had direct contact with him. So let's take a couple. We'll call them Jack and Diane. They, why is everyone laughing at me? Jack and Diane get married. Beautiful wedding ceremony. Pastor gets up, does this great Christian homily about what it means to be married and how it means to come together and they have the reception but all leading up to marriage Jack is telling Diane that God has called me to translate the Bible into a remote Indian village down in South America and I'm going to, I'm going to translate the whole thing I'm going down there with Wycliffe Bible translators but Diane says Jack you know God has called me to be a Bible school administrator and that's what I'm going to do so they get married, beautiful ceremony. Jack goes down to a remote village in South America. Diane goes off to Brussels to administrate a school over there. They write back and forth, talk about how much they enjoy each other. 
and they enjoy the letters back and forth. 30 years have passed. Jack finally finishes translating the entire Bible into this native language. Diane is still working as administrator of this Bible school. How many children do Jack and Diane have? Anyone want to take a guess on this? Zero. Why? There was no yada. There was no intimacy. They, they couldn't have children. So when we pray to God, we are creating, we are birthing something. And God is calling us to have this spiritual intimacy, this birthing of something. What is birthing inside of us? What is being born inside of us that we can't hold back any longer? God is calling us. He's saying, I want you to know me. Just as intimacy in marriage creates a deep and meaningful relationship leading to physical conception in human life, intimacy with God through prayer creates a deep and meaningful spiritual relationship leading to divine conception. See, we need to be passionate about God. We need to be so passionate about God that he changes who we are, what we desire what we chase after. David says it this way in Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You say, I... When we talk about holy habits, prayer isn't something that we just do to check off our list and say, well, I prayed today. That, that's cool, right, God? When we talk through these holy habits, they weren't just something that we checked off a list. They were something that we said, you know, I want to make this a part of my life. I want this to be a defining moment in my life. Because you see, prayer is communing with God. It's a tight community between us and God. You know one of the greatest compliments that can be said about a Christian? Is when someone says, I can't tell where God ends and you begin. That's what needs to be said about us. Because when we pray, when we truly pray, we just laid out there before God and said, God, here it is. Take me. Take all of me. T take my heart, God. It's, it's broken. It's torn apart. But God, take it. You, you can move, mend it back together. And we say, God, I want to know you. I've asked Pastors Kenneth and April and, and Terry to join me. We're going we're gonna to do this communion today, and, and, and that's all about communing with God as well. But they're going to join me in a concert of prayer up here, and then we're going to lead that right into communion. But I just want you to think right now. If you're looking at your relationship with you and God, how, how hot is it? How hot is it? How hot do you want it to be? Because God calls us not just to sort of kind of know God, 
but to really know God. And Jesus Christ had this amazing habit of prayer. He would get up before the sun rose and prayed before God. How cool is it to spend time like that with God? Last couple of months, I've been getting up early in the morning, and, and Terry said, man, I love it when you get up early in the morning because you lead us. When I don't get up early, I'm hard to get out of bed. Uh, I, I want to stay in bed. Something about falling in love with your bed. But I wonder, how many of us benefit from getting up early to watch the sunrise with Jesus? We're just going to pray. We all have different topics that we're going to be praying for. And so I just hope that um, if we could just kind of lower the lights going to be praying for teachers and educators. And um, as we do that, it's going to be very seamless as Kenneth will pick up, as April will pick up, Pastor Mark. And we just want you to join us in that prayer. And don't feel like you have to just be quiet. Pray out loud if that's something that, that you feel led to do as we are doing. All right, let's, let's go to God in prayer. How fitting today, Lord Jesus, that we have the privilege to lift our, our teachers to you, our schools, our educators. God, I'm so grateful for them. I know they have challenges every day. I know there are things that are hard for them. I know that we we question things in the schools, Lord. But I just want to lift up to you every teacher, every educator who pours themselves into students. I thank you for them. God, let me be and let all of us be a blessing to them. Let us pour into them and let them know that we care. And God bless our schools. Lord, we know that there is bad there, but there is also good. And there are godly men and women who are leading. And Lord, I pray for them to rise up. Lord, I pray for moments for them to share their faith, God, even when they're scared. God, I thank you for the teachers who pray during their lunchtime. They don't tell anybody. I thank you for the teachers that lift students every day in prayer because they're a challenge. I thank you for the teachers who made a difference in my children's life and in my life and in the life of generations to come. God, there is something powerful about teaching our children, about shaping them. And God, I pray 
that, Lord, you will empower them and equip them with exactly what they need to give our students exactly what they need. I thank you for them. I lift them to you. I lift the support staff of schools. Without them, Lord, we'd have no support. And they are special and just as important. Bless our schools in Ponca City, God. The high school, east, west, every, every elementary school, Lord. Think of the kids who are in epic charter homeschools, all of these things, God. Sometimes our teachers are our moms. And I can't even imagine. Lord, bless them, guide them, direct them. Thank you for their hearts. God, we lift them all to you today. Father, we just lift up our children, our students, Father, today. Father, we are so blessed to be over them. Father, whether we're a teacher, Father, whether we're a parent, Father, whether we're a grandparent, wherever we are, Father, we just lift them up to you, Father Jesus. Father, that you would just begin to guide them. Father, that you would give them a heart of yours, Father. Father, that right now, wherever they may be, whether they're in children's church, whether they're sitting in this sanctuary, Father, whether they're in a different church, Father, whether maybe they're sitting at home on their couch, Father, right now, Father, they just their, their passion for you would just overwhelm. Their cups right now, Father, for you, Father, would just begin to pour over Jesus. Father, they are our hope, Father. Father, they are the future of our country, the future of our world, Father. They are difference makers, Father. They are world changers. And we just lift them up to you, Father. We lift them up to your throne. Father, that you would just pour out love on them right now, Father. Any student, Father, any, any person, Father, that just feels alone and scared right now, Father, that that would just disappear in the name of Jesus. That there would just be comfort and joy and happiness. That, Father, each parent in here, Father, that has a child back there, Father, or in here, Father, or maybe they're not here today with them, Father, they would just know that you are, your hand is on them. Father, then you are directing their steps even now. Father, it's a great honor to lead here, to lead over the children and over the teenagers and over the future generations of this church and over this, of this world. And I just humble myself in that. And I just ask right now, Father, that each student, each child, Father, right now, that their heart would just open up to you in a mighty way. That the generations to come, Father, would not waste the opportunity to share your glory. That they would not waste the opportunity to spread your love. But, Father, they would grab hold of it and do mighty things with it. Father, they would find power in your name. Father, that daily, Father, they would walk to strive greater to be you, to get closer to you. Father, those about to graduate college and high school right now, Father, they would see that their journey is not over, but yet it's just beginning. And that their opportunity to share you is growing daily. Father, I thank you. And just like Terry said, I lift up the people that lead these young people. Jesus, that you would just guide them, that they would have patience with them. Father, most of all, Father, they would have a heart for them to learn and teach about you. Father, we thank you. We're grateful for these students that you've given us. 
for those that may not be here today, Father, those, for those that we don't know yet, we're grateful. We just ask right now, Father, that you would just prepare us for them. But Father, most importantly, Father, that they would be better, they'd be more rock solid. Father, they just have a faith that blows our faith out of the water. Father, a faith that turns this world back to you. Father, a faith that can move more than just mountains, but Father, move men, Father, that have stuck in their ways. Father, people, and they would turn this world back to you, and you give them wisdom. so grateful that here at Connect Church we were able to do that through our volunteers and they do that with throughout their leaders here at this church and in the capital church not just here God I thank you for the passions that you have instilled in people Lord to serve your church and to serve it well God I pray for a fresh anointing over our volunteers the people that come in to this church and serve and they just love Connect Church. We cannot do it without them. Lord, I pray your blessings just pour upon them. Father, in, in all ministry aspects, the people that are running audio, visual, our nursery workers, our children's church workers, our hospitality, our lawn care, um, there is so many more, our welcome center, our ushers, our greeters. God, the list goes on, but you know them individually and specifically. And I thank you for who they are. When we come in and check in our students, where we are giving a smile and we are loving on them. Lord, whatever uh, capacity that our volunteers are serving in, Father, I pray right now you would give them a fresh anointing knowing that they are the hands and feet of the church. They are Jesus showing to other people. Father, we thank you for the people who have stepped up and said, me, I want to be a part. I want to be involved. I want God to use me in this church. And Father, I pray that you reckon your children call on them. If they are people who would love to serve in this church, would you talk to them right now? Would you call them back to you saying you are, can be the hands and feet here at Connect Church? We are blessed when we serve and we are closer to you when we serve. Father, I thank you for our leaders, our volunteers, and the people that make this church go so we can be effective Christ followers who push Jesus, show Jesus' love into our community. We are so grateful, Lord, that you have given us these people to love on so they can love on others. We are so grateful. We praise you, Jesus. Father God, I just pray right now, Lord, that we would know you. Above everything else, God, that we would seek you. 
I pray, God, that we would come to you early in the morning. I pray, God, that we'd come to you late at night. I pray, God, that our mind would be about how we can get closer to you, God. It's in that direct, intimate contact that you start to push away the non-essentials in our life and help us to focus on you. I pray, God, that you would overwhelm us with your presence. And I pray, God, that we would seek to know you.